So, hello and welcome to this month's episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with actor, comedian and writer, Marek Larwood. So, hey, Marek, thanks for chatting with me today. It is my pleasure. I realise I must say something really important here <laughs> to capture the listeners. This first, this first 30 seconds is crucial, because if I just come across like a dick then you know, people are turning off. Indeed. I've indeed. learned this the hard way from my own podcast. And I'm, and I'm sorry to say, I don't think I've said it. I've been talking now for about 20 seconds and nothing, nothing <laughs> merits come out. <laughs> Maybe you'll make up for it during the interview. You know. Oh, it's too much pressure. It's too always, much pressure. It's always pressure in this industry. <laughs> so you were born in Norfolk. What were you like as a kid? Were you kind of the class clown or were you fairly quiet and reserved? It, there doesn't seem to be kind of any in-between. Yeah, I don't think I was ever... When I, I think of class clowns, I always think that, that person is an arsehole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> no one else really finds a class... It, you can't say I'm the class clown because it's like basically just saying I'm really funny. Yeah. Someone yeah. else should decide if you're the class clown. About yourself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the class clown... It's not like it's never someone making very witty jokes. It's just someone. It's just some dickhead making <laughs> fart noises. And it's a sort of low-level bullying, isn't it? Really. <laughs> so a low-level bully. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> so whereabouts did you go to school? Was it in, in Norfolk for school? My youth is basically the Bermuda Triangle right. of places that you don't want to say you were born or brought up in. So I was born in Norfolk and I moved to Wales when I was two and then to the Isle of Wight when I was six. So, I mean, it was, um, yeah, I don't think I was ever particularly, uh, I think I was quite imaginative. Yeah. That's the thing. I think a lot of comedians or creative people are quite imaginative. I think when you change schools quite a lot when you're younger, it's quite difficult sometimes to sort of fit in, you know, so you end up getting lost in your imagination. Yeah. I mean, were you in a school? Did you have to learn Welsh or was that kind of, was that part of your school? No, it was in, I was in one just near the border. Oh, right. Sort of yeah. In Chepstow. Right. And then, um, but my dad sort of had a good, um, I was, it was quite strange growing up because I went to sort of private school until I was, what age was I? Six or eight? Eight, I think it was. Yeah. Then my dad realised, oh, this is way too expensive. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I remember I was going from doing a school where you did that this really horrible Victorian school on the Isle of Wight in Ryde. It was just awful. Yeah. I felt like being in the 1950s. We had to wear shorts <laughs> in winter and, you know, queue up for the tuck shop. And you'd say, like, the Lord's Prayer in assemblies. And everyone was like, this is, feels like I've gone back in time. <laughs> I went to a, a school in Bembridge on the Isle of Wight where the teacher was just some old lady who couldn't be asked. <laughs> so they went from doing grammar, literally more, I've learned more, I knew more grammar when I was eight yeah. than I know now at 44. I went from doing that to like spending a whole day making bookmarks and not really learning anything for <laughs> maybe six years. <laughs> I don't know, the Isle of Wight just seems to be this, you know, as it is, it's kind of just this separated island from the rest of the the rest of the UK, you know, nobody knows what's going on over there. I've heard stories of weird stuff going on. 
you know, there's about hoteliers doing weird things, and, all, <laughs> and there was um, there was rumours of uh, near Bembridge um, Airport. Yeah, there's this old cops called Centurions Cops, and when we were kids, there were rumours of like they were they were like they found like goats heads. And all that stuff. <laughs> oh, and, I mean, that was thirteen year olds playing those rumours, so they were almost definitely true. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Bognor Regis. I kind of did things opposite to you. I was born in Wales, lived there till I was three, and yeah. then moved to Bognor. And I lived in Bognor till my late 20s, and then moved to Dublin. Oh, really? Yeah. So my formative years was in the town where we always say where, where people go to die, basically. Well, that's pretty much the Isle of Wight, really. <laughs> Except without being completely trapped. <laughs> I yeah, well, I, mo- I moved last year, actually, because um, I just realised there was no acting work at all. And the- and I was thinking of moving anyway. I just had enough of London. I lived been in London for 21 years. Yeah. And the rent was just extortionate, especially, you know, if you're paying, over, you know, most of your money on rent and there's no money coming in. It was just no yeah. point being there. So I basically moved into my nan, who's 98, moved in with my parents so they could help look after. So I moved into her empty house. Yeah, yeah. It's been very strange. Um, I'm the youngest person on my road <laughs> by about 25 years. <laughs> I haven't got a car, so I cycle everywhere on my bike. Wow. Literally, I've, got, I've regressed to the, my 14-year-old self. Go I on. don't try and get off with other 14-year-olds. <laughs> Must have been a real culture shock going from living in London for 20 years and then going back to the Isle of Wight. It must have been like, yeah, I mean, I really, I really, I just wish I had, I'd moved back. I think there's a weird thing, and I hope it's sort of gradually being eroded the idea that you have to be in London for everything. Yeah. yeah. When I was a gigging comic and I was doing those with live stuff, then yeah, you need to be someone like that. But when you just do acting bits of writing, they normally put you up in. There's a lot more and more stuff is shot outside of London. And normally they, because everywhere in London takes about two hours to get anywhere in a car. And if you're in a studio yeah. in South London, yeah. it's e- cheaper for them to put you in a hotel around the corner. And they know <laughs> they can just get you, you know, you could just walk around the corner rather than you getting stuck in traffic and screwing up filming. So, yeah, I mean, I just think, I think London's, I just think maybe, I, I think it's a combination of me getting older and more grumpy. <laughs> and London getting worse, <laughs> busier and seems to be worse and worse. But I definitely think it's lost its luster a, a bit over the last 10, 15 years. It's just too expensive for anyone to really, it, it just kills all the creatives. So I lived in the Muswell Hill sort of crouch end area for most of it. Quite posh. And when I moved, And then when I moved there, yeah, when I moved there, it was all, all the comics were there. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, like Phil Nickel. Henning, there's a comics house, like Matt Kirsch, tons of comics. This is around 2002, 2003 time. Yeah. And they've just all gone now. It's all replaced with businessmen and um, yummy mummies. So, yeah. <laughs> Says it all about London, really, doesn't it? But, I mean. Yeah, yeah. let's slag off London. <laughs> fuck London. Yeah, You, fuck you know London. swearing in this or not? There we go. That, oh, that's your explicit sign We now. can say what we like. We can say what we like. So what were your aspirations when you left school? You know, obviously you, you go and see the careers teacher. I don't know whether you had that in the <laughs> in your school. Um, yeah. But, you know, you go in there and like, well, well, what do you want to do? And you, know, you just kind of sit there like, I don't know. And uh, like I, 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 I ended up in Sainsbury's for the week for my work experience in school. Oh, did so, you? Yeah. <laughs> That's a really bad work experience. <laughs> 
or maybe it's good to do something like that you know yeah that, that just you just think oh right i need to do i need to work really hard so i don't end up in sainsbury's uh, right, it's a perfectly good job it wasn't a dream job at the time but you know my want i wanted to be a lawyer for a bit because i uh-huh. watched la law yes in, yes in the um late 80s early 90s yeah, yeah. and then i got a work experience at solicitors Ooh, and he basically just used the whole system to get someone to do his filing for him <laughs> <laughs> that's how much i hate solicitors he spoke <laughs> to me for five minutes or one day and then he just literally put me in some sort of cellar put you in a cupboard <laughs> yeah and made me do tipex out and do his whole filing system for a week you know this is and he probably charged me out you know that probably <laughs> probably charged his clients like 200 quid an hour for me doing that like did he did you get anything at the end of the end of the week did he even give you a little bit of cash or something no or no it... i actually <laughs> didn't turn up on the last day because i think i started crying in front of my mum saying oh, i'm just no. filing. i'm just yeah. doing filing all the time yeah it's not work experience at all I go and sit in a horrible builder's cafe in the corner, go straight in and do uh, filing. And his secretary would just be there and she'd give me all the stuff that she didn't want to do, like taking (laughs) the bins out and stuff like that. This is awful. (laughs) And then I think I just wanted to, I wanted to do, um, I wanted to do something creative and get into acting, I think, but I didn't really know how to do that. So I um, did an English degree, which is a waste of time. And then um, (laughs) came to London and, this was about this is around 99 so where you used to sort of get this um not a state used to be some sort of colored i don't know if you know it's a colored sort of magazine where they'd advertise for actors and stuff i can't remember what it was oh, called was it the stage not the stage or something else there's another one as well sort of casting call or something like that yeah. i don't know what it was called i don't know what sort of thing it was um it was a colored magazine where you just go in a it would have like jobs in there and so you end up doing student films right. and um, that you never got sent. It would be like terrible films that you never got sent a DVD for, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and then I just went to City Lit. I did the drama course there, which is a really good thing to do. It's, it's basically a cheap drama course for people who can't really afford drama school. <laughs> you pay about 100 quid a term. Yeah, and then you just do. I learned did drama there, and then the teacher said, "Oh, you could do this." And I did a stand-up course, and then that was it. Then I just did all the stand-up competitions, and then formed a sketch group, and then things happened from there. Yeah. So, I mean, how did it? I mean, it's not a natural break into comedy. I mean, what was your first experience on stage? What in in my life or I, well, in stand-up? Well, no. I mean, I suppose as a stand-up. When you when you first started, your, what memories do you have of your first your first stand? Well, I did a, you... I did a gig when I was about twenty, uh-huh. or no, no, after university, so I was twenty one, and, and there was a a um, place in Southampton called the Clip Joint, right. which some bloke called Bob Jobbins ran, <laughs> and I, I, and he was the MC, and he was really, <laughs> Somebody he always really yeah, he would always get really pissed off because. Uh, He'd have to do the same jokes every week and all the acts are better than him. <laughs> and I went there every week. I asked him for an open spot and um, I um, just did that. And I was living with like, the people who were old me at the time, about five years old me, and they brought their mates down for my first gig and I died really, oh, really badly. God. I think who was on? Um, Jeff Mertzer was headlining. Uh-huh. This is like, this is like yeah, 2000, no, 98, 99. And it was so humiliating. 
I still get cold sweat now when I think about it. <laughs> um, but I didn't do it again for like five or six years. And then I did a stand-up course, Logan Murray stand-up course, which pretty much 50% of the comics on TV over 40 did that course. <laughs> you put in, He ran it in London. And I did that. Like, you know, Rod Gilbert did it. Greg, yeah. Greg Davis has done it. You know, um, Tom Rigglesworth, all sorts of people. A lot of people came through that course. And you you do a gig at the end of it. So you've got uh-huh. something to work towards. And you just start gigging around in, in London, doing all the open spots. Yeah, so it was a good time for doing all that. Yeah, it must be quite hard, though. You do, you do your first gig, you die on your ass. I mean, it must must take, <laughs> do you know what I mean, to think, oh, I'll, I'll do that again. I'll do that again next week, you know. Well, it took me five years <laughs> to do it. <laughs> Building up the courage <laughs> to get, yeah. get yourself back on stage. It's so odd. It, it takes so long for some people to be able to look confident and natural yeah. on stage yeah and to not rehearse it you're so nervous you rehearse over and over again in your room so you sound so none of it sounds genuine and it's just uh it, it, i never but i never enjoyed the whole stand-up process at all and my whole i did it for about yeah 10 years yeah i never really enjoyed the whole experience the nerves are just terrible i had terrible nerves yeah, I was going to say a lot of comics I've spoken to have said they they get extremely extremely nervous before going on stage, and you're kind of like, it's quite surprising when you see them do it on stage doing their thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think what it is is um, uh, is it, I was sounding old and archaic, but, <laughs> but you know, thing. I remember when YouTube suddenly got big about yeah. or came out around two thousand five, two thousand six, something like that. People started doing things. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of YouTube. And, and but before that, it's how do you, if you're creative and you're in your 20s, you think, well, I like creating stuff and I like making weird things, but I don't know. You sort of think, oh, I have to be a stand-up comedian, but you can be sort of quiet and creative or, you know, and still do it. But I think people just feel that they have to do the, um, that, then that felt like that's the routine. That's what you do. Yeah, I suppose it's a way of processing your what's kind of going on in your head. Yeah, I mean, it's what it does do is it gives you, it makes you massively thick skin stand up. <laughs> I'd say so, definitely. Oh my god. Yeah, but then again, you you sort of never want to tell anyone you're a stand up because it just means you. All stand ups will say that they never want to be introduced as a stand up at a wedding or something like that because you just get the same questions yeah. the whole time, which is. Oh, you're so brave! I couldn't do that. <laughs> oh, what do you, what do you get? He- what do you get heckled? What's your, what do they say? What do people heck you at? As you think, oh, I just, I just don't want to talk about. That's the worst part of doing stand up, trying to say, answer those questions, yeah, as if you've not been asked them a million times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just say a teacher, and they're not interested. <laughs> That's it, and people turn away. Turn say something really away. boring. <laughs> Okay, so Marek, obviously, it's a slightly unusual name. Um, yes. And I'm sure you've spoken about it many, many times in the past. But, you know, where did it come from? I wouldn't say there's many Mareks in Norfolk. No. What happened was, in 1975, whilst my mother was pregnant with me, mm-hmm. she watched an episode of Panorama about a boy whose dad was Polish and he was English and his mum was English. And it was following him having a pioneering heart operation. Right. 
and the program um a friend of mine who works or had contacts at bbc archive found this 1975 panorama episode for me and i watched it about 10 years ago 11 years ago now one of the most traumatic documentaries ever oh my god really <laughs> it starts off inside school so it starts off all the other kids are outside playing football and there's a narrator in an RP voice saying, all the other children seem to be playing football and enjoying themselves, <laughs> except for Merrick. And he goes inside, oh. dog, something like that. And he's playing chess indoors because he, he's got heart defect with another kid who looks like he's got something bad. <laughs> <laughs> Some weird hunched up kids who's just obviously terrified of the camera. <laughs> and uh, and Merrick says... I'm very much looking for, he's got a really sweet voice, but they all speak like they're in sort of Dickensian, you know. <laughs> it's maybe my memory playing tricks with me, but I'm sure it's 100% accurate. <laughs> and Little Marek says, um, I'm very much looking forward to having the operation done so I can go out and play football with the other boys. And his friend looks really upset that... <laughs> <laughs> he's going to leave me. <laughs> yeah, if the operation is successful, his only friend is... <laughs> gonna leave <laughs> yeah he's gonna be him stuck inside looking at with chest the chest <laughs> anyway they do this operation in this hospital and they and it was very strange watching a documentary from the 70s and how documentaries have changed in the last like 40 years yeah there's no there's no emotive music on it so now you know everything sad happened every time something sad happens in a documentary they have to put some crappy track on the background just to tell you <laughs> this is how you're supposed yeah. to feel or here's the uplifting track here's the end of the documentary it's just silence of a boy and i knew this boy died basically after the operation oh my god so there's one bit when uh, it's absolutely heartbreaking when you see him waving goodbye to his parents and they're saying oh good luck be brave and we'll see you tomorrow and you know that's the last time they captured the last time they're ever going to see their son oh my god and they show this operation and it's so unlike all the operations you see now. It was just almost like 10 minutes of the documentary of just sweating surgeons, uh, blood bank with all the sort of, um, I can't what they're called, the blood, you know, where they keep the pints of blood. Oh, yeah. And yeah. just empty, empty blood where they open him up and basically all the, I can't remember what's wrong with him, but um, it was much worse than they thought they couldn't fix it. And he died on the operating table. Oh, my God. So I came home from school one day and said, Mum, why does everyone say my name's unusual? And she said I was named after a dead child. <laughs> but she was so moved by it, she thought yeah. that um she tribute. thought that yes. Hmm. But what's happened because of that is that everyone thinks I'm Polish. I even look <laughs> like I'm Polish. i people just assume I'm Polish. I get auditions for Polish builder roles They're like one in every four is for someone who's Polish I get people start talking to me in Polish I've get, had people text me literally text me saying their <laughs> builders have pulled out of their kitchen do I know any builders because <laughs> they think I'm Polish and all my friends are builders oh I'm not God. I've literally zero percent Polish <laughs> Very strange. So if you're listening to this and you're a parent thinking of what you're naming your naming your child, be very careful when you go for unusual names. That, um, <laughs> think of what the world might be like 
in 30 years time that's the thing people always want unusual names for their kids don't they you know you hear all these bizarrely named kids over the last you know 10 15 years all the kylies and the yeah all these bizarre named children there's suddenly now these like dorises and daphne's and oh doris daphne (laughs) doris is coming back (laughs) i quite like doris Daphne, it's quite strange I... seeing a baby called Doris. Though, isn't it? <laughs> it's very much an old lady name, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Like, Ma- like Mavis as well. Mavis is an old lady name. <laughs> but that's. I always feel sorry for the people who, you know, their name's something normal, and then someone else, even like Steve Davis or something like that, <laughs> and then you've got to spend your whole life just dealing with dickheads. You've got. You've got to say, "Oh, not the snooker player, or not the football player." Or worse, you're something like Fred West, and then they, <laughs> you, and then it's oh great, great, a uh, quite a good name, and then you've got a mass murderer, yeah. and it just ruined your. <laughs> just that's ruined it. it. Your whole. What am I going to do? It's like having the surname Crippin, I suppose, or you know. Yeah, exactly. Like that, you know, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? I just call people numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would probably be what it comes to in a hundred years. You know, everyone will yeah. have like a, a weird number dash number 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 dash name. You know, it'll all be. Well, it won't be. It won't be. I think we'll be. Let's do our predictions for go on hundred years time. What do you I reckon? think it will be half human, half robot sort of thing. We gradually morph into. People think about robots taking over, but it'll be a slower process than that. I think. You reckon they'll be like transplanting robot? Yeah, well, you, it, it's like the phones. You could say people stuck on their phones for so long. Yeah. And Google and how people's memories have changed because you can just Google things and how you can get your computer to remember your password. <laughs> and it'll put it to the point where people, someone will say, oh, do you know what? Rather than have it in your phone, just if someone said to you, oh, you could learn French or you could learn Chinese just by putting a, a chip in your brain. <laughs> Then you go, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's only Chinese, isn't it? I mean, just doing that. Or you'd have all this perfect memory or whatever. I mean, it's, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know, all the anti vaxxers and stuff would be having a field day, wouldn't they? They'd be like, no. <laughs> all these people yeah, that reckon I mean, there's, reckon think... there's 5G, 5G in the, in the vaccines, you know. Well, this would actually be 5G. <laughs> straight in, straight so. into your head. Yeah. I would hope so. At, at least 5G. What, what about, do you think uh, can happen? I don't know. I reckon I was kind of like maybe they they put like a chip into your hand or something so that you could it's less you intrusive. Just, yeah, and you could like you could phone people. So basically, you just say, "Oh, phone, phone Dave, whatever," and it, it just does it. I don't know. It's going to look a bit weird, isn't it? If you're talking it, you're talking into your hand. <laughs> do you have Do you have Alexa? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. You yeah. do have it. Yeah. And you're comfortable about what do you let Alexa do in, in your house? Well, this is the thing. It's you hear all these stories, don't you, of people saying, "Oh God, the the Chinese are listening." You know, they're all listening in everything, and you you get all these targeted ads. You know, and you're kind of like, "How do they know that I I like washing up liquid <laughs> or whatever?" You know. Yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah, there's a lot to be said for Alexa. I think. Talking about you washing up liquid, <laughs> overhearing you, it overheard me say. All oh, these bubbles are so gentle and soft to my hands. <laughs> then I'm getting a load of fairy liquid uh, ads. <laughs> so kind to my skin. <laughs> she has the softest, softest hands. Yeah, I don't know. Flying cars. What do we think? Yeah, 100, 100 I don't. Uh, 
I sort of wonder what I wonder if we've gone past the best age. I think the best age might have been the eighties, but yeah. maybe if you did a bit of it, I do really like the internet, but the eighties was pretty good. Yeah, well, when you look at like Back to the Future and that, and they're yeah. predict- that what they were predicting for, <laughs> and, and even Blade Runner, you know what they were predicting for twenty fifteen, and you're like, <laughs> you got a lot of that wrong, I think. Yeah, gone a lot slower. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was watching the video you did the other day about um, trying to get Siri to pronounce your name. Oh, that was, yeah, that was, um, I did that. It was a while back, yeah, yeah. That's about 2012. Did you ever, did you ever get it, get Siri to? No, I never used Siri again after that. That, vid, that video, it, it was odd off. how things come back. It was just, I just bought a new light or a new camera or something. Yeah. I think it was a new light and I just wanted to test the new, it was, I think it, was, it might be a new camera. I was just testing the camera. So I never did it as a. I never thought, oh, I'm going to do a video about Siri. <laughs> I just started talking t- to do something as a clip. And it turned out into some epic argument of <laughs> Siri seemingly getting my name wrong on purpose and then getting it right, which was really weird. Calling you Marek. Yeah. <laughs> and you were just getting more and more pissed off. <laughs> Uh, it's, just, it's great to watch really, I think really there's a because if you've got the backstory of that I mean I can't really say my name right Marek <laughs> I think it is but you just get I, I, anything just sounds anything with an M and two syllables I would answer to <laughs> Mike I did um, do you get Mike I, very much <laughs> well I did I did a program about five years ago six years ago I got asked to be on Celebrity Squares. Oh right! Uh, someone must have dropped out. They tried to put those <laughs> comedians on it, and um, I was on Celebrity Squares, and it was almost. And what they do is they try and they're trying to do. There's nine boxes. Yeah. And they're trying to do like noughts and crosses. Yeah, yeah. And fill the boxes in the. And uh, these people, I think they had zip. I was in the top right hand corner, <laughs> and they basically needed my box to win. Yeah. And they went for someone else instead. <laughs> and the only f- reason I could was because I think they couldn't pronounce my name. <laughs> <laughs> so I just was on Celebrity Squares and I spent the whole time. They introduced me and I just sat in the dark, <laughs> you know, just for. They only, what? Do they only light you up when you're. I think you're... so. I remember just sitting in the dark <laughs> thinking. So it was really weird. It was really weird. But the great thing was, is that was filmed on the Friday. Then someone dropped out on the Monday record, literally that morning, last minute. Yeah. And they phoned up and said, oh, listen, because you didn't get picked at all and no one spoke to you. <laughs> <laughs> and we can you come in and do it again today? <laughs> Which was great. It was like a couple of grand or something. Like, oh, my yes, God. Result. So that was, the only, that was the only time having an unusual name worked in my favour. So did you get picked on the, the second try? Yeah, I got picked in the second try. <laughs> did you get your question right? Um, I can't remember. I think I did. For the sake of pride, we'll say yes, you did. Yeah, we'll just say yes. Edit over. I, I'll just say this. So, <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Edit that in. Yes, I got it correct. <laughs> so talking about uh, Celebrity Squares, you've, app- you've appeared in loads of different shows over the years. Extras. Drunk History, the UK version, which I really loved. Rush Hour, the UK version of Impractical Jokers. You've also done loads of kids' TV over the years. 
Um, so what do you, which do you prefer? I'm guessing that kids TV is a bit more, I don't know, there's a bit more freedom in doing kids TV. It's when you do kids TV, there's no budget. <laughs> and you have to do loads a day. So right. I, was, I, I, so I was in a program called Sorry I've Got No Head, which is yeah. sort of like wasn't as good as Horrible Histories. It was on the same time as Horrible Histories, and it was still really good. But Horrible Histories got all the awards, and everyone ignored our <laughs> program. But you'd have to literally just shoot. When you go to, um, I don't know if you've been, if you film stuff, that you get these sides of how many pages you're going to shoot that day. Right. And you can tell how much budget is in <laughs> in the in the production by how little you know how much time they've got to shoot things normally so normally it's like six or seven pages that's quite a lot right with kids tv it's something like 25 you know oh you're almost God. shooting an episode a day so in sorry i've gone ahead we would do we would shoot so it'd be me and some character down the back of the sofa you would shoot all eight or all ten of those sketches in one day oh my god so it'll just be relentless just doing over and over again everyone really bored <laughs> <laughs> i mean how scripted is it do you do you get any kind of freedom to improvise and stuff with the no i suppose they want to be fairly strict that you're not going to stick any uh <laughs> with that i mean it's, you can, yeah it's a bit i mean it's sort of fun. It's sort of it's sort of fun to do, but um, it's exhausting. But there's a lot less pressure. I mean, yeah. I've done. I think when you break through. I mean, I'm sort of when I was in a sketch group, and it's around 2008, 2009. Yeah. And when it, when someone breaks a new person on the circuit, so people who get nominated for nominated for Perrier Awards or so and so, suddenly you get put in everything. Yeah, you're going yeah, yeah. to auditions and you're rubbish and you still get the part, even though you're clearly awful, just because you're on that list of people. So I did loads and loads of pilots, like failed pilots that no one ever seen, terrible pilots. And you just hope you get a series or a second series or something. That's when they start paying some sort of money, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it's all part and parcel, isn't it? Doing pilots, you know, doing like 20 pilots before you get one commissioned. Yeah, I think nowadays it might be even easier to... There's so many channels now. Yeah, yeah. And there's such a need for content. Is it? I think it may be easier to get stuff away, but I think there's a lot less money in the production of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at, like, CBBS. Like, CBBS is huge. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. When you, when all you the money goes all... into that, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, is that your favourite channel? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm always watching. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> Peppa Pig. <laughs> what do you What do you watch? Um, I don't watch a lot of. I watch all I seem to watch at the moment is Netflix. You know, just Netflix uh, doc documentaries about serial killers. And <laughs> oh great, were you watching the Son of Sam one? Oh my god, I just finished watching it. It's epic. It's so. Good. Oh really? I've watched the first two two episodes of it. it's quite interesting it's amazing they didn't investigate it for listeners who don't know that this is about the son of sam killings that were in yeah. america they got david berkowitz for yeah and some investigators said that he was linked to a satanic cult and there were lots of other people involved that the police never pursued that's the yeah. gist of it right you've yeah. seen it all I've only yeah. seen the four. And this guy this guy maury terry he's a journalist and he, he kind of dedicates his life to investigating this this story but it's mental, you, you know. Do you believe him? Do you think he's right? 
I think so. You know, they were saying the cops were like, no, we've got the guy. We've got the guy. Leave it alone. <laughs> and it's all coming out about these other kids that were involved. And then you've got Maury Terry goes and visits David Berkowitz in jail. And he's asking him all these questions. And he's like, oh, so what are the other people involved? And you go, yeah, yeah, there was. <laughs> like, Christ. Wow. You know, obviously, I don't want to do any spoilers for you because you haven't seen the whole thing. But um, yeah, there's interviews with... Uh, david berkowitz in the in the jail and he's very frank about what happened and i just i don't understand how more has how this is only kind of coming seems to be only coming to light now yeah you know that there's all these other people this uh, satanic groups and stuff involved in these murders i <sighs> just i do feel a bit sorry for police officers though i think mean, i just hate to be a police officer it's the worst isn't it but you're just dealing with arseholes everything <laughs> Only you deal with arseholes. Everyone thinks you're an arsehole. <laughs> yeah. No one ever says, oh, great, here's the police. Yeah, well, they're, they're all bent. <laughs> yeah, all bent coppers. Everyone thinks you're an arsehole and you can't do anything right. And then just when you think things are going okay, one of you go and murder someone. <laughs> they're like, oh, I'm a copper. No one will suspect me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Netflix is yeah. Netflix is good. What sort of stuff do you watch yourself? Are you kind of I the same as you? Looking? I just think I wonder who is watching television because no one I know watches it. Yeah. My nan, who is ninety eight, yeah, is the only person I know who watches some television. I think I was in a show, uh, uh, <laughs> and me and the other presenter would joke that no one actually watched a show <laughs> other than the pets who people had left the <laughs> television on for when they'd gone to bed yeah. and we were just performing to some bored cats and dogs <laughs> on beanbags. <laughs> oh, no, my mum my and dad watch a lot of Dickinson's Real Deal and, you know, Bargain Hunt and all that kind of shite, you know. So there's, yeah. obviously, there's obviously some people are watching it, but it's only, you know, it's that weird afternoon. I don't know. I don't think there's... I think telly at the moment is just really rubbish. When you think about the BBC back in the day, all the comedy and stuff that you used to get on the BBC, and it's yeah, now it's yeah, just totally gone down the down the toilet. I think I just miss. I miss. You know, that's what what's so good about some sort of line of duty with the recent thing that felt and you have and sport is successful in that because everyone has to watch that sport live. So the World Cup, everyone has to watch that yeah. and get into it. And the fact that line of duty was clever enough not to put the whole thing in one box set, you know, yeah. and to spread it out weekly. Yeah. It felt like this odd thing again, where people could talk about, you know, they had something to talk about and everyone watched it, which hasn't seemed to be around for years, you know, where everyone watching something at the same time, you know, talking about it. Like we did it. Like, I mean, if anyone young listening to this, they're going to think, oh, you boring old man, <laughs> but just going to school and laugh and redoing oh, Mary Wyatt's experience was a big yeah, one for yeah me. yeah yeah sketches and stuff yeah, yeah. you go through that and you, everyone would say Chinny Recon and Tutankhamun and stuff like that <laughs> school the next day but where'd you get that mass where'd you get all the mass people watching the same things yeah there isn't any of that now is there you know even like Harry Enfield I remember when like, yeah Harry was Enfield loads of money. was amazing when loads yeah. of money came out everyone was going mad over over his characters and stuff Stavros was it yeah the, the kebab, kebab shop and that's why I mean I wonder what people be like if this generation in their 40s if they'll have things they look back and they can all talk about like TV shows 
because everyone would say everyone know like Bergerac, you know Love Joy, you know <laughs> you know, Black Hadder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone would have these things, they'd have to watch it. So you can pretty much find something to talk about about nostalgic TV with loads of people. But now there's so much choice. Yeah. I just talk about computer games, stuff like that. But I find myself I watch a lot of YouTube now. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of spoilt now, you know, with all the, they upload these, like, a whole season of something, and you can, mm. you can in, if you want to, watch the whole thing. But then you're kind of like, you know, these shows that do weekly episodes, and you're like, oh, my God, why should I have to wait <laughs> a week? Yeah. What sort of world do I live in? <laughs> it's disgusting. What is the world coming to? <laughs> I want everything now. <laughs> writing into points of view yeah <laughs> i am disgusted i have to wait a week <laughs> points of view is points of view still on oh christ i hope not <laughs> Could you that imagine? employed quite a lot of actors voiceover actors. <laughs> really <laughs> i'm sure it did someone pit literally the same voices thinking i haven't got any work coming don't worry you can read out some letters on points of view. <laughs> what was it why oh why oh why <laughs> When Terry Wogan did it, it was best because he did it before, didn't it? Before Anne Robinson, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because he had a nice sort of humour about him, which softened the the anger. Yeah, Anne didn't really have that. Uh... No, it was just pure, <laughs> just pure poison. So let's talk a little bit about your YouTube videos. You, mm -hmm. you, you do a lot of short films, walking. You you do a yes. lot of walking videos. So how did the how did the walking? videos start some of them are, are really great to watch obviously you know if you can't if you're, if you're in lockdown yeah it's, it's nice to to see all these uh you know parts of the country to be honest nothing could really sound more boring than someone doing a video about walking <laughs> it says a lot about the, who the world the we're hell have in. you got on here paula <laughs> Man talking about what? No, it's not a walking video. It's what? worse. It's <laughs> talking about a walking video. What the hell? I can feel the sick in my mouth already. <laughs> oh, God, that's 50 listeners I've just lost. <laughs> in the comment section, I cannot believe. <laughs> why? Oh, why? <laughs> Not only done, I did not know who this person was. He also slagged off my favourite programme, Points of View. <laughs> and um, so I make, I, I mean, a lot of walking videos. I watch other people's walking videos and they're yeah. pretty boring. So the bar is so low for walking videos. I just started, well, basically, I used to go walking with a few mates when I was in London. Yeah. And because if you, in my job, you work different days. So, yeah. and it's really nice to go on a weekday and normal people have children or normal jobs. Yeah. So it's always quite hard to get people to go to say, do you want to go on a walk? Because no one really fancies getting on a train and go for a walk. So I started just doing it by myself. And because it can be quite lonely when you're just walking by yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. but I'll make a video and, and I'll just, talk. mainly it's just for me, well, half it is for me to talk to myself without getting arrested. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then I sort of quite, I quite enjoy making, I just quite enjoy making the videos. I quite enjoy, uh, I hopefully it's interesting to some people. I talk, I may talk in nonsense about the walk. And then I sort of made up a walking club, my cool dudes walking club. 
and the aim was my mind dream is just to be able to make youtube videos as a job so i don't have to work so i can just go on walks and make enough money that that is my job i'm probably about 25 years off that so by the time <laughs> happens, i will no longer literally the day that happens i will no longer be able to walk <laughs> You hear stories, though, don't you? Of these kids that are, you know, they're driving Lamborghinis and stuff because they've made money off YouTube. I went, <laughs> I went. Uh, so I, when I got a, a thousand or something like five thousand, no, a thousand subscribers on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, YouTube have got all these offices in London you can go to, and they were doing this workshop for um, people to get more followers. <laughs> so my mate said, my mate Simon Phil said, I should go to this. And then he pulled out last second, so I went along. <laughs> and it was just really awful because there were the people doing a talk. And I sound out, it might sound awful. It's like 2012. So I've always done a bit of TV and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So I know about production. And, and you know, I experienced the scripture stuff. And there were people doing a talk like these, they were like 17, 18 year olds <laughs> on the stage telling people how to do things. Oh, and I just thought, oh, God. And one of them was saying, he had something like 200,000 followers or something like that. And he, he did pranks, which is basically texting people <laughs> to say, I don't know, texting someone like saying they cut his dick off or something <laughs> like, like, like rubbish, stuff like that, that he'd filmed on his phone and then getting their reaction back. And then he was talking, saying, yeah, I won't, yeah, I won't do a, a brand deal mention unless it's like 10 grand or more because once you cheapen your brand, you can, you know, and I was thinking, 10 grand? It's <laughs> no. more than I get paid for like a series of something, you know, 10 grand. But I've never, the problem is I'm a 44-year-old man and um, it's mainly people who make money are people who appeal to the younger kids, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, so basically you're saying that my, you've just ruined my dream, you've ruined my dream. <laughs> The Lamborghini might still be, it might still be waiting there, you know, and that in a couple, dated, a couple of years. That, that shows a, a Lamborghini. <laughs> I don't know. First, a Lamborghini Countach. That was a cool one when I was younger. A Lamborghini on the Isle of Wight. <laughs> oh, could you imagine it? Oh, the roads on the Isle of Wight. You wouldn't be able to drive it around there, would you? No. <laughs> Everyone, oh, there's that you. Everyone would know where I lived. There's that YouTube prick in his Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah. So how did you start making the videos initially? I know you were talking earlier about YouTube and when it all started and stuff. So how did you kind of get into, were you making videos anyway? And then YouTube always, was there? I always wanted to make videos. That's what I remember writing a script when I was about, my dad worked at um, I saw an airport on the Isle of Wight and they had a, a, an old tape camera, which he managed to borrow for Christmas one year. Yeah. And then... I wanted to borrow that to make a film with my friend. So I wrote a script and everything. And then my friend came in and we had it all finished. We we're going to film it. I remember my friend coming to school saying he was moving to a different school. So we couldn't do it like the next <laughs> oh day. It was God. awful. And then uh, I bought like a crappy camcorder about 2005, 2006. Uh -huh. and we just on that. I think it's incredible that you can make your own uh, it's what you can do with cameras now just a normal camera oh, yeah. you can go and, uh, if i was had access to this technology when i was like 15 16 i would have been making films then it's something i just really like love doing i mean half my stuff's rubbish some of it's just literally i should take it off the internet it's so bad 
<laughs> but then some of it's all right. I just quite like it. In fact, it's lo-fi. It's stupid. You can have an idea. You can make it that day. And then um, at one of my films, I think uh, I just uh, <laughs> I thought of it as called Audition for One Word Parts. <laughs> right. And I made it in one day. because my, my mate Josh Howie said to me, oh, your films aren't funny enough. So I went home and made the video. And I put it to, up for the Writers Guild Award and got me a, a Writers Guild Award for a YouTube video. <laughs> he was your mate and told you that it wasn't very funny. No, no, he said, my, he said oh, my other videos weren't funny enough. So, I mean, some are good and some are bad. It's like most things you don't really know until you've done yeah, them, yeah, yeah. what makes them funny. But I just, like, I just like watching them. I mean, there's a guy called Van Neistat, who's Casey Neistat's brother. Uh-huh. And he's making, he's just started making films on the internet, on YouTube, and they are incredible short films that you should, if you want to find someone who's to watch who's really good van nice that's really good and also the other guy I like a guy called geo wizard who does a mission across wales where he tries to walk in a straight line across wales yes yes i've heard of him it's he's that's like <laughs> how do you even it's do that so bri- yeah. it's just brilliant he's just like going through hedges and farms and all that it's just so great to watch and that stuff wouldn't make it on T- well, or maybe it would have made it onto TV on some weird BBC Two when they, you know, when they used to have Get Stuffed or something like that on, or yeah, some yeah, weird. Yeah. It, maybe it would have made it onto TV, but now that stuff doesn't make it onto TV. It just goes straight onto YouTube. You can find. I mean, what do you watch on YouTube? What stuff do you find yourself looking? I at? don't know. It's mostly music stuff, music related oh, really? stuff, or film trailers, comedy stuff, little comedy stuff. Um, mostly, it's it's a bit of a rabbit hole, isn't it? YouTube, you kind of start, you start on something, and it's it, and then it sends you to. It says, "Oh, do you want to see? Do you want to like? Do you want to look at this?" And then you yes, look I, at that. Yes, I have no it, willpower. <laughs> <laughs> then six days later, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's my week gone? I've been watching YouTube for six whole days. You know, there's people YouTube banging on Wikipedia, the, banging just, on the door. Just, yeah, thousands of wasted years of life. I mean, you've done stuff like you cooked a pot noodle in your mouth. <laughs> you did. I love the uh, the tips from on the tube in London. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did you get a lot of were, were people asking you what you were doing while you were, <laughs> while you were filming? I tried to film without people ever seeing me. I think <laughs> that's a good thing now. Is that people are so used to cameras? Yeah, and um, people don't. The notice. cameras have got smaller and smaller. People don't even know you're filming for half of it. So it's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about a card game that you invented called Pooh Man. Um, yeah. Yeah. So do you want to tell us the story behind Pooh Man and how it all came about? So I've got nieces and nephews, three of them, and they used to, I don't know about you, but or anyone who's got kids, they like you to play a game. I've asked other people about this, but where you pretend to be a monster and you chase them around and they run around <laughs> screaming. And it's fun for about 20 minutes, but they yeah. want you to play for literally f- hours. So every Christmas, the kids would come over on like Christmas Eve. We all spend it at my parents. Christmas Eve, boxing, uh, Christmas Day and Boxing Day. Not yeah. Christmas Eve, Boxing in three days, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it would be hell for me because it would just be me <laughs> pretending to be a monster and just kids screaming for you know, this like longer than like 10 hour days of being a monster. And then I just thought, oh, what can I do? to get out of this hell that I'm in. So I remember just having some cardboard and so I make up a game where prime objective for me was to be able to sit down for longer. 
So I just got them to draw some pictures on the card. And one of them was the monster. Because kids like, you know, kids are obsessed with poo. Oh, yeah. The monster was this thing called Poo Man. <laughs> so they would try and pick, there were about 12 cards made up stupid names for the cards. Um, like Stinky Peters and stuff. You know, and, and they draw pictures <laughs> on that. And they had to pick a card. They're all placed, placed face down. And they would collect, try and get three cards. If they turned over Poo Man, then I would chase them <laughs> for 10 seconds. If I caught them, they'd lose all their cards. So it was really great because I yeah. could make it last. So rather than running around for all that time, you could, this is where, as an adult, you can sit down, have a cup of tea, <laughs> and they're terrified, and you count to 10 being this monster. <laughs> you don't even have to chase them. You can just sort of loiter, you know, you can just shout <laughs> 10, and then the game starts again. So it, it literally t- changes playing monsters from running around 100% of the time to maybe 10% of the time. <laughs> anyway, so I played this game and they would bang on about it all the time for about yeah. a year, a year and a half. Can we play Pooh Man? Can we hear some different characters? And we end up putting different rules in. So you could be, there was like a poosicle car where you'd freeze Pooh Man. <laughs> there was an... Um, Invisible, invisible cloak or a Poudini one where you'd hide and <laughs> no one could see you. And then last lockdown, I, I was doing these painting videos and I thought, you know, I had no work and I thought, what am I going to do? And I got a bit of that government grant. I thought, well, should yeah. I, I can I gamble this on doing this game? So I spent, I just spent, drew a card each day on my computer on just some crappy paint program. So it took me about a month to draw these 30 cards and I got them uh, all printed and then tried to sell them. And I think I was just about, I may have been losing money. I was selling for about two or three months. I think I got about 500 printed. And I was losing money. I did Richard Herring's podcast. Mm. And he was so lovely. He talked about it. He promote. he like bought 10 packs. He talked, he promoted it. He retweeted it. And thanks to him, I sold about 800. So it turned from a loss making thing into making me a bit of money so it's not really i'm not really put i'm not really good at marketing i had to try and work out to do a website so it was just a game i played with my niece and nephews i thought this might be fun for other people during lockdown i mean someone sent me a picture of their baby <laughs> um with a massive bump on its head saying oh we so enjoyed playing super man so much we slammed the door open and it smashed on the baby's <laughs> face <laughs> <laughs> this baby with a massive lump on his head. I'm somehow weirdly responsible for his baby's brain injury. Yeah, it must be so great getting people like Richard Herring on board. Do you know what I mean? He's got such a like a great fan base. I didn't realise how huge his fan base was. How many people listened? Because it just t- totally turned for me. Basically, saved me from losing. You know about 700 800 quid into making that amount of money you know just because of him getting behind behind the stuff but he's so prolific in what he does but what i like about him he's so um supportive and he's a lot of comics aren't generous about retweeting other people or sharing stuff yet he's got doesn't seem to have any ego when it comes to that and he really um yeah he's done a lot of great things for um a lot of people so i've got utmost respect for him yeah, I mean, like when you look at all the uh, the interviews he did, you know, in the Leicester Square Theatre. Yeah, yeah. You know, the amount of people, the different amount of people, like Stephen Fry and you know all those guys that he's had on there. Mm. 
So if people are interested and say, oh my God, this is, this, this is what I need. I need to get these kids off my back. Where can people get them from? You can get it from pooman.co.uk or you can get it from eBay. Just look up Pooman cards and get it on there. So I'm selling those. I did. I was thinking of selling it on Amazon, but then I sort of hate Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And also they take, by the time you've paid all the stuff, you don't make anything. Yeah, I think they take <laughs> a percentage, don't five, they? Yeah. It's a percent. They take storage costs. <laughs> they take ad- admin costs. There's postage costs. So you didn't think one, I'll make about one P per pack of this. Yeah. And I sort of hate them as well. So I thought I'd try, <laughs> I'll maybe I'll maybe lose sales by not going on there. But so what? I'll just do it on my own. Uh, it's, it's a victory. It's a victory in other ways. Yeah. So your dad is an inventor, yes, uh, is. Which, which is pretty cool. So, I mean, it's obviously you've something you've kind of, you maybe you've inherited from him, you know, with all your different ideas and stuff. Um, what kinds of stuff has he has he invented? Anything kind of major, or is he just is he just a, a tinkerer? He's sort of he was an accountant for his job, but mm. he's got a great creative mind. So basically, I I um created a sport called Ball, which is in a, and I told him the uh, idea of this. It's a weird sort of prison with a hoop at the top, and he made that. You know, he's invented a new hanging basket, which we saw, which is just was cheaper. But as soon as he invents something, then someone in China tends to invent the same thing for much cheaper about a month later. <laughs> oh, my God. So he invented these amazing hanging baskets. And then they were sold quite a few. And then that sort of disappeared. But he's just quite creative at doing things. You know, he'll just... Even things like making climb, making amazing climbing frames for the kids out mm. from scratch. You know, he'll just be able to do things to make things like that so he's just a great imaginative mind it's probably where i get it from where i just think oh here's something i'll have a go at doing it but i think most people i think maybe it's because of my stand-up and not having any sense of or not being scared of failure because you have yeah. to fail on stage and you ha- and you regularly and that's the worst you can do embarrassing yourself in front of those those of people especially people who know you when you die in your arms <laughs> But the one good thing that comes out of that is maybe you don't really care about what people think so much. And I always feel really bad about, um, I think everyone's probably got brilliant ideas. Yeah. Everyone or things they could invent is just, you know, 5% of it's the idea. 95% is being asked to do it and the cost of doing things and the time it takes to do something. So it's a real shame most people don't go through with their ideas. Yeah, it's about taking that first step, isn't it? Being brave enough to take that first step towards something, I suppose, is what kind of kills a lot of a lot of and ideas. It's amazing how difficult it is. I mean, like this with your podcast. I mean, how did you feel when you first first started your podcast? Were you nervous about doing it? Um, yeah, I mean, it was a college project. Oh, um, really? Yeah, it right. was a college. Um, I was doing a. I did a journalism degree, mm-hmm. and uh, part of it was to make a podcast and kind of semi-market it um so it was something I've been thinking about for a long time but Mm. I'd never really I don't know I never really had the drive or the the push to do anything about it and so it started a ball rolling and so what it is now is slightly different from the original idea because obviously you kind of tinker with it slightly and you know you do different things yeah but um yeah no I'm pretty pretty pleased with how it's going and I'm getting to chat with some of my comedy heroes people's comedy that I enjoy 
So it's great in that res- in that respect. Love it if you change the podcast name to <laughs> people I hate. <laughs> hang on, no one, no one Conversations with total losers. <laughs> yeah, but you only tell people that after you've spoken to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, this wasn't the, the title I am. Um, I, 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 I thought it What's the name of your podcast? Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you do some you do some podcasting as well. I did do a podcast. I did um, I had a film podcast for ages uh, with David Reed, and then I sort of tried to do a, I tried to do podcasts where I would try get make a film and get people to to fund the film right from the podcast and use all the money for the budget for the film and i i really overestimated how popular it was going to be <laughs> <laughs> so i had this film script and i realized i couldn't do any of it but i promised to make a film and i sort of, i sort of spent the money there was a really nice sort of a couple of people like a nice lady in sweden who maybe gave me about pretty much half the money which is about 300 quid oh my god and other people and then I, I once I bought like a um a hard drive to put it all on and some props, the money was <laughs> gone. <laughs> so I had to make a really I had to do sort of do my best making a uh, a film with nothing really, but it's quite a good experience. I tried <laughs> to do some storytelling podcasts, but it's just it's hard. It's yeah, it's all hard work. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. You, I mean, you you go out and about now and you see these kids. Kids in pushchairs holding phones and stuff, watching, watching videos and stuff. Maybe that's a it's an untapped, an untapped market. Mm. Yeah, could be something. To, <laughs> could be something to think about. So I need to aim my videos at kids in pushchairs. That's I was going to say, what what age are you aiming <laughs> aiming at? My age? Well, no, my oh, oh, my store for my stories and stuff. I know it's more like horror stories, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not for kids' stories, no. Yeah, so we talked about your dad. You, your brother as well is quite uh, talented. Yeah, um, so my older brother is a kids' author, but he was a teacher for ages, and he wrote uh, a book called Podkin One Ear mm-hmm. about a rabbit which won the um, Blue Peter Book Award. But he wrote another book before that which won the award. But, I mean, he, I mean, it's like with writers, it took him you know about three or four books before he can leave his job to do yeah. it to do it because the money's so unless you're really really massive then you cut it's hard to make enough money to being a writer and all the children's writers hate all the uh they all hate david williams <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely loathe him i'm not surprised he rips off road doll <laughs> and just sort of has a ghost ghost probably all ghost written but it's a total rip-off and all the comics who just write kids' books, which aren't very good, because it just means that it's harder for people actually pursuing it as a career, I suppose, rather than just celebrities writing kids' books every other day. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of teachers going into going into author author being an author. Yeah, but a lot of the books. I mean, I read Warship Down again recently, and all that. It's not. I mean, well, it's a hard book, isn't it? Well, I read it when I was a kid, and I remember, but I thinking. It's weird that that's classified as a kid's book, where it's not really a kid's book. <laughs> I know. It's a brilliant book. Yeah. But oh, it's, yeah. Not, it's not a kid's book. And things like, um, 
like Catcher on the Rye, that's classified as a kid's book. It's not like To Kill a Mockingbird, that's like young adult fiction, but it's not really, it's not, it's not at all. A lot of the young adult fiction uh, books are amazing. I read also read Adrian Mole again for the first time in 30 years. Yeah, oh, that's and that's great. classified as a teenage book. <laughs> but the humor in that, the how succinct she was in all her jokes. I got my mum to read it. She didn't want to read it. She said it was, she said it was the funniest book she's read in years. It's so the the comedy writing, where Sue Townsend did that is brilliant. But oddly, it's a, classified as some sort of you know coming of age book. It's really weird how they decide what the audiences are for books. Yeah, and it hasn't really aged, has it? I don't think you can no, still you can all. still read it now and sort of feel the same sort of things as you, that you felt as a teenager reading it for the first time. Well, I think there's a lot of things I didn't get. There's so many subtle nuances yeah, and jokes yeah. in it. I didn't get when I was 14. And now having written comedy and, you know, and realising how hard it is, you think that was, it was absolutely brilliant, the writing in that. You should read it again. Everyone read Adrian Mole's Secret Drive of Adrian Mole again. And you'll be really pleased. Yeah. They, they made it into a TV series as well, didn't they? Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, when it came out. That was good. It was quite good. So talking about the way you work and stuff. Um, so lockdown and stuff for the last for the past year obviously um i mean did it has it changed the way that you work like i suppose for film work and all that kind of stuff there's a lot of a lot of your stuff has it gone online are you making more videos or over the past year no i think i made i i I have quite prolific video maker anyway yeah yeah and i'm quite a solitary person and I've just been really busy doing my projects through lockdown. So I just haven't found it any different to normal. Yeah. And the work I had has been, you know, just pretty similar, really. It's just mm. not affected me too much. I did a film called, I, was, I had a small part in a film called Locked Down, which was, a, uh, I auditioned for it and I thought it was a student film. It turned out it was a proper film filmed in Harrods. And I played security guard and Anne Hathaway and Chiwetel Echafor were in it. <laughs> and the weirdest experience in my life was last October, sort of coming up from the Isle of Wight, filming in Harrods, <laughs> in a night shoot in Harrods. Normally when they, you're acting or something and they put you in your sort of trailers and you can tell you've only got a rubbish part because your trailer is really rubbish <laughs> and you're sharing it with someone. But because it was filmed in Harrods, they put all the actors in the same room for lunch. And my scenes was basically me, Chiwetel Ejiofor and Anne Hathaway. Oh, my God. So I was in the room. I was the only person in the room who hadn't won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to have a conversation over lunch. At three o'clock in the morning when I was so tired with people, status-wise, you can't really, you know, I'm aware that they're the stars and they think, oh, my God, I'm the equivalent of an extra you have to spend in the, in the room. So you can't really say anything until, when you know, <laughs> or start the conversation because no one wants, I mean, they just might want to rest or something. It's one of the oddest experiences ever. Um what did you talk about <laughs> over lunch? They talked <laughs> about they talked about cars that they had right. and how uh, they like classic cars. And I don't have a car. I have a second-hand bike. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't really talk about that. I sort of chipped in at the end of their conversations. And um, 
uh, one point Anne Hathaway was talking about Teddy Ruxpin, <laughs> and when she was young, I said, I remember that. There yeah, was a cartoon. Yeah. Of, I said, there was a cartoon of that. And she said, no, no, there wasn't. And you'll get mixed up with something else. And I knew there was a cartoon there of was. Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't say, she was so adamant there wasn't. <laughs> And I was literally playing a security guard with 10 lines. I couldn't say, no, Anne Hathaway, <laughs> you were wrong. Absolutely was a cartoon of Teddy Ruxpin. So I had to pretend she was right. <laughs> they milked it. They had, didn't they have toys? There were Teddy Ruxpin the toys. The toys came that... first and then yeah. there was a cartoon. Yeah, there was, definitely. Yeah, so exactly. But that's imagine not being able to argue that because you thought, oh, they're going to think I'm mental. She was having none <laughs> Well, I'm not going to imagine them going, no, there was a cartoon of it. <laughs> of Teddy Ruxpin <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning while you're trying to shoot a <laughs> Slightly frosty atmosphere on set. Yeah. It got bad reviews. My mum cut a one star review of the film out of the Daily Telegraph, which said, locked down is possibly worse than lockdown. <laughs> So, yeah. Oh, that is a great tagline. That's <laughs> pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, put that, put that on the uh, train. So, what, what was the film even about? What was the? Why was it in Harrods? Because it was set. The reason it got made, I think, because it was just no one was making anything. They managed to write a script in that first six months. So it was shot last October. Yeah. And it was people, and they got all these amazing actors to be in it through Zoom and things like that. Mm. And it was about. I think Anne Hathaway used to work at Harrods and there was a diamond there and they decided they were going to steal the Ooh. diamond over lockdown. It's a diamond heist. Oh, that old chestnut. Yeah, the classic coronavirus diamond. <laughs> <laughs> um, so got an actual release. Yeah, I've not seen it yet. I suppose with lockdown, everything's been pro postponed. No, it's got, it came out. Uh, so, yeah, so I've not watched it. I don't really <laughs> watch anything I'm in because I want to punch myself in the face. <laughs> oh, dear. Most of the things I do, I try and ignore they ever happened. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite, it seems to be quite common, doesn't it, for performers not to watch their uh, their work back. Why would you want? Why would you want to watch it? <laughs> well, that's what I don't get. I went around a comics house when I was first gigging. And um, you used to get lifts to all these gigs all over the country. Yeah, yeah. And their flat was just covered in sort of posters of themselves. And I thought, <laughs> I mean, what, that's the last thing I want to see is like a poster of me in my <laughs> flat. Yeah, it does make you wonder, isn't it, if you walk in someone's house and you're... <laughs> yeah. You're just surrounded oh, by these... You're, <laughs> you're mental. Tour posters. Yeah. Um, so you've got had any uh, comedy heroes who who's kind of influenced you as a as a as a comedian? You must have a few people that you kind of grew up liking. Well, my um, big hero growing up, well, I used to watch um, some mothers do have them oh, on TV, and Michael Crawford. And I find it really strange that he is not more lauded as a, a comedy performer because yeah. I know it's not trendy to like that now but the physical comedy he did i watched some the other day where i mean the famous scene is the roller skating scene which he did yeah. which is absolutely outstanding 
I mean, that is incredible. I went, and I went to see him in Barnum. He was in the play in the show, but when I was um about five or six years yeah. old. Yeah. Oh, he was incredible in Barnum. You know, doing. Yeah, and type, I remember thinking. Yeah, he came in on a rope swing at the start. He's on stilts. This is in, and I found out later on that he was completely heartbroken during it because he just split up with someone. It's really weird. You see someone having that fun thing. Oh, what's all this stuff going on inside when you're doing a, you know, the, in a West End show. But some others do have him. His, there's one bit where he's got a toilet with an automatic door which closes and shuts every time you go close to it. And he manages to to make it so hilarious. You know, the sort of the whole, it's just a door closing an opening when you get near it and to make that sort of into a whole narrative and story you know except and pace it wise to pace it so you just come in it happens I, just for someone because i sort of do quite a lot of physical stuff yeah I yeah i just think he was a, a, a genius but no one you know you talk about uh you know buster keaton and chaplin obviously they're amazing yeah, they yeah. Were, it, it, incredible. but michael crawford was i never hear anyone say Michael Crawford, and it's it's astonishing that he is not up there. Probably because he did, a, you know, Phantom of the Opera and became a singer mm. and did some serious stuff. But I thought he was, um, and maybe his Frank Spencer's a slightly annoying sort of character now if you're older. But nonetheless, for me, I, I just thought his clowning was second to none. Yeah, I mean, I went. I think I went to see him in. He played in a. I think it was called The Go Between. Mm-hmm. Um, a musical thing he did a few years ago in London and I was only thinking recently I'd love to get him on the podcast because he's such a he is a comedy legend you know yeah when you, when you look at all the stuff that the Frank Spencer stuff is kind of it's up there on a lot of people's podiums and the fact that you can watch the uh the roller skate thing you know you can watch it still now you could watch it a hundred times yeah and it's still just as funny and to know that he did when he goes under the truck <laughs> does this he's going down sta- he's going yeah. down like a car park staircase yeah yeah through the tr- i mean on crap roller on a, skates on a bus <laughs> like, yeah these are these are sort of 1980s roller skates <laughs> they're horrible metal ones with a bit the, yeah, like the straps the ones over the top. you extend over which just i mean they bear the wheels barely move <laughs> with no control on them i wonder if they had to stop halfway through and change these roller skates yeah, that would be a question to ask him. Oh, please get him. Please, can you ask for his autograph? Oh, I would love to get him. I got. He, I managed to get his autograph actually, and I met him um, after the play in London. No, it was before the play in London actually. I think I, mm-hmm. I saw him. He was walking down the laneway towards the theatre, uh, and he was just lovely, you know. And it's such a shame that he's. I mean, fair enough, you know, he's done all these musicals, Barnum and Phantom, and all this kind of stuff. But as you say, a lot of people forget. He's just got he's got just got this amazing comic timing. Yeah. So I'm gonna try, I'm gonna make it my mission now to get Michael Crawford. <laughs> yeah, I should I should write I just think I should write to a few of my heroes. I think he lives in New I... Zealand. I think he lives yeah, in New Zealand. Yeah, I think Zealand. he does, yeah. So there'll be quite a lot of postage. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about music now. Mm-hmm. Um, so who have been your musical loves over the years? Any kind of artists or bands that you've followed? Yeah, I mean, 
I'm more of a songs than a music person. I remember, uh-huh. I mean, I started off in when I was into <laughs> stuff like well, glam so rock when I was like 13 or 14. So people like Motley Crue and Skid Row and Def Leppard and stuff like that. <laughs> I think we all had Def Leppard phases. Yeah, well, I still like Def Leppard. Um, and then, you know, a big Beatles fan. Yeah. But as I've got older... I mean, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be in sort of in with the whole Britpop thing. I suppose Suede were my mm-hmm. Britpop band that I really like. You know, Dogman Star is a brilliant album. I think. Yeah. Um, and then as I've got older, I just listened to songs more, and I sort of got more and more annoyed with lyrics. So I listened to a lot <laughs> of um, film soundtracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or people like Philip Glass, I really like. Yeah. So. Yeah, Michael, Michael Nyman's of, pretty good. If you haven't, uh, yes, Mike, I do like Michael Nyman and uh, Hans Zimmer. I like. Oh, Hans Zimmer, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But then again, now all I listen to is just pretty much a lot of eighty stuff, eighty songs or seventy, like like the Police and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And um, I'll just put that, and I'll just you know Depeche Mode. Yeah. Depending how depressed I am. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, even oh, the cure, yeah, you'd have to be even like rhythmic stuff like that. I, I'm quite, um, I just put some 18s thing and listen to that, or you know, I just like all TV soundtracks like the equalizer and stuff like that. I mean, oh, yeah. five times in a row, yeah. So, I quite like electronic sort of early 80s stuff, Beatles or film soundtracks. That's my main go to bit, or that's what I listen to, like uh, Air- the Airwolf. Sound. <laughs> uh, Airwolf, I Airwolf quite like tune. Airwolf, not so good. I oh, mean, oh, it's a classic. No, the Magnum one, I really like the Magnum. Yeah, Magnum. Uh, um, things like Ulysses 31. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's a classic. Uh, Battle of the Planets. Yeah, Battle of the Planets. Yeah, too, I do, like, I do. Too young for that. Oh, what's the other thing? Terror Hawks. Did you ever watch? <laughs> yeah, Terror. I didn't like Ter- Terror Hawks so much. But uh, I'm trying to find I don't know. It was very Muppet, Muppety, wasn't it? I think it was the, the same guys that did the, the yeah. Muppets. So I don't, I mean, I go through phases listening to music where. Do you make playlists or are you just one of these people that just kind of listens to stuff on shuffle? You know, do you use Spotify and all that kind of stuff? No, I would listen to it on YouTube. Yeah. And get into somewhere. So, for example, I've always been a big fan of Harry Nilsson. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll just go on and just find that, or you know, then 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 your YouTube thing suddenly makes up this whole track listings for you, <laughs> so you don't have to think anymore. So I'll do that. But I think I like eight. You know, I find myself listening to all the tracks like, like Simple Minds, yeah, and yeah, stuff that was all on all the eighties films, and then I end up getting stuck in that. Uh, I think it's a part of it's nostalgia. Yeah, definitely. You know, Peter, Peter Gabriel, maybe some Paul Simon and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, what about live bands? Did you have you seen like Suede live or anything? Yeah, I saw them. Back, I think it was um, Southampton Guildhall. I saw them when I was at university, or Portsmouth Guildhall, one of them. I'm not really a big fan of. I remember going to see Polyphonic Spree in oh, yeah. Brixton Academy. But the person, I always find it, because I find music so personal, Yeah, I don't like watching it with other people because it's almost as if I've, I've given that song a story mm. in my head. And it's awful when you watch someone who seems to be enjoying one of your favourite songs more than you. 
<laughs> and I always remember going to see Polyphonic Experience, someone jumping around in front of me. Yeah, yeah. Or I went to see Radiohead. I think maybe that was at Brixham Academy as well, somewhere in London. And just someone singing really badly too close <laughs> behind me. Where you just think, ah, oh, I did. I want to listen to Tom York, not to you <laughs> singing. <laughs> Oh, there's nothing worse, is there? And someone who thinks thinks that they've got this amazing, amazing voice. Oh God! And it's just, just like belting a, out every song. Just cat wailing. Uh, you must have had that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, many, many, many times. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I go to a, I go to see a lot of live bands. But um, do you still you, like it, or do you think it has your enjoyment waned as you've got older? I don't know. I mean, a lot of people are saying now that you you know you kind of get to an age where you you want to have a seat. <laughs> Yeah, you want to be seated at gigs, um, but I think a lot of it depends on the band, you know. Yeah. Um, like my, the main band I follow is it's called the Divine Comedy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I prefer standing gigs for Divine Comedy, but a lot of his stuff is can be quite slow. Um, but yeah, you just want to sort of bounce around a bit. But I can I can understand why <laughs> why um, you know. People in their forties are now saying, "Oh, look, I've done. I did that in my, I did that in my twenties and thirties. I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be standing on my feet for two hours." Yeah, I think I'm. Just, I'm just quite a solitary person. I think so. I, it never really, it never really uh, suited me going to gigs. Yeah, no. I, I try and get there. I get there early enough to sort of get down the front because there's nothing worse than being kind of halfway back and you all you see is the top of the singer's head. So Divine, is it, is it does he, are they still together? Or does Neil, oh, is Neil yeah. Hannon, is, okay, they, they, they're based in Ireland though, aren't they? Yes, yeah, Neil, uh, Neil's living in Kildare now. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, you know, he's still gigging. Uh, he's doing a, there was a 30th anniversary of the Divine Comedy last year. So he was supposed to do five nights at the Barbican. Oh, uh, right. In September, but it got cancelled. And I think it's now got cancelled again. So it's not happening till... 2022 <laughs> but um yeah it's just kind of knackered a lot of bands you know like the festival circuit has gone yeah yeah um and just gigs and obviously stand-up and comedy stuff is all kind of you know in the wind kind of thing at the moment i know things are slowly coming back to normal i think in the uk mm. but um yeah over here it's just everything's just <laughs> taking forever to happen and how have you found it are you have you been Okay. It's been pretty depressing to be honest. <laughs> to oh, be really? Honest. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I live I live on my own. All my family are in the UK. So I mean, I think this third lockdown has been the worst. So I haven't, haven't seen my family for five months. You know, it's just kind of how do you how do you spend your time? And it's about just keeping your head, keeping your mind ticking over and and doing stuff and uh yeah projects are all i just give myself so many projects yeah it's just a way forward to do that and trying different things like i mean line drawings by drawing and doing painting i've never really done that before but i've got into that it's really it's nice to have something you can concentrate on i suppose editing this listening back to me bang on <laughs> editing <a> podcast <laughs> something get lost in you know you could do it and realize the whole day's gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how did the how did the painting thing start? I know you've you've been doing that recently. Well, I was just that was when I it was lockdown had started, and I just I everyone else just shat myself, and I thought <laughs> I, I 
I'm not going to win any money for the next, you know, yeah. I'm not going to be able to pay my rent. So I just ordered a paint set. On, um, <laughs> As you do. Yeah, for 40 quid off Amazon. And then try to do the Mona Lisa in 15 minutes. So, <laughs> and then I started picking up. I started trying. I did. I would do one video a day. It would take. And that was. Two, and I ended up doing three a week. So I was actually painting in the morning. Editing all afternoon. Oh, wow. Making a crap song on um, Garage Band to go to the gallery at the end. <laughs> Now, I'd make the song in about an hour. You can normally tell it's made in about an hour. Um, and then put the video out and then flog the painting on eBay. Oh, wow. Try and get, um, and then fill up 30, 40 quid. And that was enough, you know, well, uh, to keep me ticking over. And it yeah, basically yeah, yeah. saved my bacon, really. Yeah. So, I mean, have you had to learn, like, video editing and stuff? Have you been sort of <laughs> learning packages and all that kind of stuff? too? I just got a final cut, 10 about seven or eight years ago and what's good is all these skills so when you're editing everything's sort of related to every time you, you do a podcast you edit that you learn how to do that and then that yeah. comes in handy when you're filming something making a video and you work out how and usually when it when something goes wrong you think oh i have to work out how to do yeah this but they all sort of fits together i won't sound the greatest editor but it's just when i even when i'm making my walking videos I worked out that other people do walking videos and they just have themselves talking. And I'll, every time I do, I walk and say something, I turn the camera around the other way and just film five seconds of what I'm looking at. Yeah, yeah. And it just gives you the space to edit <laughs> you know, minutes of me talking crap out or mistakes or, you know, sniffing or coughing or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like with this you know you put jingles in or you put you when there's two people talking it's easier because it's almost like having another shot there but you just learn how to edit things and um yeah just carry on getting and not being intimidated by things yeah. i think just having a go and failing i mean a lot of my things have been failures but i think like you said with this your podcast doing for the first time mm. everything the first one is never the perfect one but you're never going to do that perfect one unless you tried to make mistakes with the first one you know anyway so yeah well it's like trial and error it's like we were saying earlier about doing stand-up for the first time yeah i, mean, I could have just said trial and error but i try like <laughs> i what i like to do is talk for five minutes <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's not it's not an easy skill is it i mean i hate editing video you know I have oh to, do I, you i hate it oh it's just edit, editing audio is I, I love it it's it's quite therapeutic but mm -hmm. the, the thought of editing video is just oh my god just, it's, like, uh, it's just if you think i'm trying to tell a story yeah and also you need to think of the edit when you're filming it you can't just film mm. you think how how am i going to edit this yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm going to talk about this i need a picture here and what you can do is like put pictures in i started doing drawings and i got one of these sort of computer map um what's it called with a pen i can't remember they're called sort of we can draw on it on oh yeah 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 just so i could draw some pictures just to mm. break stuff up and that just helps you in the edit really mm. yeah maybe i need to face my fears <laughs> turning into an editing podcast all the editors are thinking oh finally finally they're talking about editing come on <laughs> oh my god i've been sitting there an hour waiting for you talk yeah. about walking talk about walking and suddenly now you get onto the editing the interesting yeah thing. Anyway, and on that, and on that note, um, yeah. So thank you so much for chatting with my me. My pleasure, Eric. my pleasure. It's been fantastic chatting with you today.